think Mike Duffy called them the boys in short pants. And I they're both boys and girls because I've seen them. Women and men. Hello, this is episode 98 of The Boys in Short Pants, the 99th episode. I'm Laurent Carbonell. That's a lot of episodes. It is. Uh, Amazing Rainbow. Thank you. Uh, and uh, yeah, so we've had a, a speech from the throne in the last couple of weeks. The Green Party's had their leadership, uh, a couple of other things. So we're here to, to run behind the dog of Canadian politics with our, our little bag. Uh, <laughs> ready to pick up all, all, all the little treats. That, uh... <laughs> that's, a, that's a great way to put it. And we're, we're about a week late because I think we promised people an episode last week immediately following the speech oh, you know from the what? throne. I, I didn't make any promises. But uh, oof, you know, folks folks aren't going to respect us if we lie to them like that. It's about it's about respect, as a, as a great man once we just, said. You know, we just like to keep you all on edge, refreshing that iTunes podcast feed. Yeah, while leaving us five-star reviews. Not a lot of those lately. Hopefully, people people need to. No, yeah, people got to step it up. Got to step bit. it up. Yeah. yeah, maybe we do more episodes if you guys were better about rating and reviewing on iTunes and or your favorite platform. Of this choice. is how you make these monkeys dance. Exactly, we're the monkeys <laughs> in this metaphor. Correct. We're we're still holding the the dog the dog bags, but uh, now we're monkeys chasing after the Who, dog. So altogether, a, a much funnier mental. Elizabeth image. May is the organ grinder. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> I don't know where this is going. Um, I don't. Th- I, Etienne, if I asked you what an organ grinder was, could you tell me? Uh, it's a small metal box with a guy who cranks something, and it makes like okay. rudimentary noises. I don't. I don't know if there's like yeah, keys that are played or something. I, pre- I presume <laughs> there's keys. I presume it's not just a music box. No, you know. I guess that that mystery. Do, will do go you on have answer. a better grasp of uh, organ grinding than I do? No, and to be honest, I, I was very surprised that you used the term because, generally speaking, if it's in a book, uh, <laughs> you know, no, knowing that you, you you probably haven't experienced many many men with monkeys <laughs> actually with an organ grinder, I presumed you had read it somewhere. Which, yeah, you know, but you have been reading a lot recently. Re- reading so. has been my uh, my COVID resolution. I've I've been working yeah. my way progressively through the uh, Hugo and Nebula winners. Yeah, how's uh, how's Dune so far? Uh, about 150 pages in um okay not too bad i mean nothing has really happened 150 pages in um so only 700 odd more pages to go it's that long it depends it depends on the version if you get like the trade paperback the actual thing is like 900 pages but then there's the the glossary and the uh you have a nice new one too that is like a very beautiful cover but like it's very narrow for some reason yes it's a very long there, book. Which is there just... was a wider, thinner one, but that was ten more dollars, and so I figured I did not mm. care to part with ten dollars for the format the book came in. That is entirely fair. Okay, we should probably <laughs> circle back to try and catch that dog. Uh, and the, the first, the first dropping from the dog this week is the speech from the throne, which was delivered uh, on October twenty third, uh, so about a week and change ago, uh, by the Governor General. Uh, our beloved space queen Judy Payette in uh, the Senate uh, attended by senators and select members of the House of Commons a a little Uh, less than normal indeed uh, so do you want to do you want to start off on that and give us your, your hot takes? Sure. I mean, I have a, I have a very, very lukewarm take on it. So I'll, I'll let you lead up with the hotter. So stuff. the lead up to the speech from the throne about, let's say, two plus weeks out. Um, seem to consist of a lot of leaks from various wings of the government um, trying to 
float their own trial balloons and say, you know, this is going to be the government's priority. That No, this is going to be the government's priority. And then just before the speech from the throne, it seemed like the government, you know, the, the center um, was trying to rein it all in and sort of reverse course on a lot of those narratives um, with with the realization that the second wave was coming. Uh, was was coming slash already here, um, and say no. This this depending on who you ask. This yes. isn't going to be <laughs> our uh, disaster liberalism big L um, speech from the throne. This is going to be a COVID focused speech from the throne. And uh, so lo and behold, speech from the throne day comes, and it's not. I mean, the speech from the throne is like nineteen pages or something. Um, I, I have 36. I yeah, mean. I mean, that's not a, a strong way to represent no, it very, because of, you know, yes. they've they've very heavily they've formatted. done the margins like a first year undergrad student. Um, yes. But the reality is the speech covers basically every single topic imaginable. It dredges up old platform promises. Um, COVID is, you know, one of the focuses, but it is hardly the only. And focus. it was the thing off the top. Yes. It was the thing off the top, which I think is is notable. But you're right that like the bulk of it was really like it was COVID, like on the actual health level, and then sort of on a you know income support, et cetera, level, and then it was kind of over to you know playing the hits, yeah, of, of the 2015 and 2019 platform bits that have not been implemented. Like, to, to use just one example of this, one one of the pieces announced in the speech from the throne was the government would be uh, doing auto filing. Um, that is, you know, basic, simple tax returns. You'd be able to file them automatically uh, via the CRA. So basically integrating simple tax into the CRA's website um, is, you know, one form that this can take. But why the hell is that in the speech from the throne? Like it's I, it's a policy I like and I would have availed myself of many times over the years, but it's not really relevant to COVID. It's not even that you know, big of a policy area when put against some of the other focuses of the speech from the throne. It's sort of an ornament on the tree. And usually the speech from the throne is about, you know, not doing the ornaments, not getting as detailed as the mandate uh, mandate letters platform or the budget. Yes, which we're, and we're waiting for the mandate letters. Yes, it should be this week. Um, What we're really looking for is sort of the thematic direction the government's going to take. And the thematic direction the government's going to take was entirely muddied by, um, you know, 27 pages of bips and bops, um, which which is the problem, because in a way, the speech from the throne reminded me of some of the provincial budgets um, from the pre-COVID era. That is to say, the, the 2020 provincial budgets that immediately got usurped by yeah. the change in COVID situation. And so here we have a bit of a speech from the throne that sort of leaning towards being recovery focused in, a, I'd say, about half of it. Um, and mm-hmm. it seems like the way the health situation is going that we're not ready for recovery yet. We're still in full blown, um, wave two pandemic or uh, we're, we're in the start of the, the second wave. Um, so once yeah. again, recovery gets put off maybe to budget 2021. Um, but that, that's why the speech from the throne was a miss for me. Um, because it wasn't entirely COVID focused. It didn't have that precision. It was all over the place. Yeah, and I mean, I think a lot of that is the legacy of they were writing it presumably, you know, over the summer when things looked quite rosy from a, a you know broad sense, and then was delivered and hastily amended, like as things were quickly intensifying in a negative direction. So I think they yeah, but someone 
I mean, the, someone the, should have edited, you know, the night before and track changes and like. Yeah, no, and I, I actually do think text. there were substantial. I, I do think there were substantial last minute revisions, amusingly, uh, from from just anecdotal things I've heard. Uh, but yes, it was. Um, yeah, it was clear that they they were delivering it in a very different uh, world than the one that they kind of sketched it out yeah and and the world that we're in today right so like that's what i mean it's already sort of um a miss for me um the the other piece i mean so as as you alluded to the uh the governor general was the one who delivered the speech from the throne um but that evening the prime minister took to the airwaves to address the nation on an issue that he promised, or his office promised the networks, would not be <laughs> a political selling yeah. of the speech from the throne. Do you, do you care to, uh, I mean, for anyone who didn't watch it, do you care to recap what happened in that announcement? Sure. I mean, the, the first five minutes was like, we're in the second wave, uh, everyone wash your hands. And then he immediately went into, and here's all. Here's everything Judy Payette said earlier today, by the way. And, and, and by wash your hands, you mean uh, Thanksgiving is a wash, maybe we'll make it to Christmas. Or, or he did also say that maybe yes. the country will be able to celebrate Christmas together, which I think is looking increasingly unlikely um, as Indeed. measures are snapped back all over the country, Lar- it, largely in Ontario and Quebec, the, but elsewhere as well. This is what I said a couple of weeks ago. I don't know if I've said it on the show, but in the spring when this happened, you know, I would say reasonably unexpectedly. And, you know, you can quibble with the word unexpectedly there. And certainly Chan and I have, have said, hey, maybe the government should have been a little more alive to this like earlier on. And sure, okay, let's just take that as red. Uh, but when we all had to go inside or, you know, we're laid off our jobs, etc. In, in March, April, and then, you know, didn't see anyone for six weeks or however long, I can't even remember. Um, like, what we had to look forward to was summer, when I think there was a, the implicit promise of, of less infections because of, you know, UV breaking down virus in the air and on services more quickly, You're sounding like Donald, my um, God. Yeah, and then uh, being able to be out of doors in the in the warm weather, and now in this fall wave, there's like what do you have to look forward to is not seeing people, not really being able to see them outdoors safely anymore uh, or comfortably, really, because it'll just get too cold, and uh, obviously just our weather that everyone loves. So it's just a good time to be had by all this time around. Yeah, it's. I, I mean, I think that's incredibly right. That's. One of the problems with compliance in the second wave was in the first wave, there was the promise, the tantalizing promise that things would get better um, as yeah. as the sun warmed up and people could go outside and spend time in their backyards or their parks or wherever socially. Fact check, the sun is actually the same temperature all the time. <laughs> socially distanced outside. Uh, <laughs> but as, as being socially distanced outside in that driveway, wherever people are yeah. choosing to congregate, um, becomes not really an option. This is where compliance with public health measures is really challenged, whether or not people are willing yes. to forgo the social interaction. I should note that we're uh, recording today remotely after having uh, recorded in person for the, la- the past few episodes in compliance with yes. the Ontario uh, public health, latest public health advice, which is increasingly confusing. Well, who knows what that is, I guess. Uh, yeah. <laughs> our, our, interp- our, our interpretation and reading, the, uh, the Carboneau-Rainville sort of... Uh, heresy of uh the williams doctrines that have been handed yeah down. There's, there's very much an environment of too much public health information like 
there's three levels of government, three levels of chief public health officers that all have various jurisdictions, sometimes overlapping, sometimes not. Some will weigh in on what should be going on at other levels, and people misinterpret that as advice for what is actually the case at you know, one level or the other. And it creates an environment that's incredibly hard for the public to wade through. Um, I mean, even for us... Well, it becomes, who, it becomes demoralizing and people just check out and ignore yeah, it, and right? The like, best, which is what, exactly what you don't and want. And the best thing you can hope is that they checked out right around the time uh, Doug Ford announced Wave 2 restrictions uh, many months ago. And, and, they haven't paid, and they haven't paid attention to the news since then. And they're continuing to abide by those directions. Indeed. Um, yeah, so all that to say... Uh, <gasps> It will be a, a to return to the speech from the throne and, and Trudeau's five minute thing where he sort of it was very with, uh, bad faith vague... that the prime the oh, prime minister yeah. I, I don't know what authority whether it was a, a formal invocation of the Broadcasting Act to get that airtime or not. Um, no, I think it was just. A but request. as a uh, a fellow podcaster from the Hurley Burley said, the you know the prime minister's office doesn't uh, make this request of the networks. And show up with a, a six pack for the Canadian people, and the answer is yes, he absolutely did. He actually drank the six pack before he went on the show, and he really had one, one tall can of he. He's like a he's like a podcaster. He shows up <laughs> with one tall can of a craft IPA, and he didn't actually really have anything for the Canadian people. There was no actual public health announcement. Um, less than half of it was explicitly the COVID public health message. It was largely uh, the prime minister trying to repackage the speech from the throne clips. So the clip wasn't the embattled governor general. Embattled. She she will win any battle she she ever encounters. That is true. That's our, true. Our very powerful lord. <laughs> so anyway, I, I think we can leave the uh, the speech from the throne there. The next the next stage really is the mandate letters. Um, what the mandate yes, letters no, I do are. Wanna, I just a do... quick a quick history of this. Uh, the mandate letters are the direction from the prime minister's office that uh, goes to all of the ministers. They're rewriting um, all of them. They were first issued. I mean, this round of mandate letters was issued in 2019, immediately following the election and the appointment of cabinet, and it provides the guidance. Well, well, not not immediately. <laughs> immediately yeah. doing a lot of work there. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and it provides a lot of guidance for ministers' office and departments, and it's really their marching orders. Uh, mandate letters have not always been public. In fact, the uh, Doug Ford government is in court trying to defend their own mandate letters, uh, but the Liberal Defending party, not publishing their mandate letters. Yes, correct. To be clear. Um, the Liberal Party uh, under Justin Trudeau and maybe under Kathleen Wynne, I believe, uh, has made a habit of publishing the mandate letters. But it should also be noted that these are different mandate letters. Mandate letters in the Harper era had timelines and deadlines associated with things. These, <laughs> Oh, you wouldn't want that. <laughs> these are public-facing communications documents more so than... Uh, you know, machinery of government documents that provide strict marching orders. Yes. But non- nonetheless, useful policy documents for uh, stakeholders, the government, the, government, the department, you know, any, anyone in the in the Ottawa system. Indeed. Um, I don't think there's a lot else to add to that on the Speaking of Throne. I just thought it, there was an amuse, the amusing novelty of um, the other party leaders getting a, you know, quick reply in on the broadcast yeah so i actually uh, think which... this was super beneficial to aaron o'toole um just just yes who had covid at the yeah time. just two minutes on this so aaron o'toole had covid he wasn't able to do the media 
uh, response to the speech from the throne for the Conservative Party, where he usually would have. Um, instead, it was Candace Bergen and Pierre Paul. Yeah, I'm trying to remember if that's correct. No, it was Candace Bergen and Gerard Deltel. Um, but there is a notable difference between the tone and approach of Candace Bergen and the tone and approach of uh, Aaron O'Toole, even on that day. Aaron O'Toole, it's sort of a good cop, bad cop. Aaron O'Toole takes very much 100%. the more congenial tone. Uh, the let's bring Canada together, where Candace Bergen is very much more the bad cop who's trying to take shots at the liberals. The, the downside yes. of that is that it's it, it's not as stark a change for the conservative messaging and for the public. Uh, when they're seeing sort of a rebranded conservative party, it strikes a little bit of the same old, same old. Uh, so what was really yeah. good about what... Um, you know, the opportunity given by PMO to the O'Toole camp was that the clip from the Conservatives now was Aaron O'Toole on the evening news rather than the Berg and Deltel response. Uh, one yeah. thing about the O'Toole response, I think he's striking the right tone, but I think comms wise, there's a lot about Western alienation, which don't get me wrong, I'm from Fort McMurray, I think it's a huge problem. Um, but it's very much preaching to the choir when you're using your national platform to talk about Western alienation, where conservatives really need to win votes in the GTA. And I think they need to hone yeah. their message a little bit more because I suspect that, you know, suburban voters in the GTA are not super keen hey, for the way uh, the Western alienation message. And, and look at it this way. They, they don't feel it whole, resonates with them. They have them. a whole one seat to pick up in Alberta and Saskatchewan. That's really it, right? You don't, you don't need to <laughs> like win there, by 85% don't in every single riding. There are no seats to be yes. gained by harping on Western alienation. Um, it's not to say it's not a valid policy and there aren't, or sorry, a valid uh, issue. There, there aren't valid concerns, yeah. etc. cetera. Um, but electorally, it doesn't win seats anymore. You've, you've, I mean, you've I maxed think what it, it does, out. though, is deliver fundraising. I mean, sure. Uh, but you can do that hone targeted fundraising message when you're not on national television you're speaking to everyone yeah that's entirely and fair. and frankly yeah. when that uh that airtime was 6 30 if i'm not mistaken 6 30 7 o'clock in ontario and yeah. four or five in alberta uh, so not exactly prime time there no i i tip, i tend to agree and i i was always baffled frankly by watching question period and seeing you know the conservatives use up their their top you know couple of of doubles on whatever was topical and then have like eight guys i've never heard up go up and be like why don't you love oil and gas more to the prime minister and just think that can't be the most effective use of those slots that they can think of but there you go. yeah i think it's a it's a habit and an approach that served them well enough over the years um but it's one that i think is going to need to change if uh if they're going to work towards rebranding the party under o'toole's leadership yes um okay i think that's really it for speech from the throne i, I don't have anything else to say good, about you're it. done very good so you want to talk about the state of testing because we we talked quite a bit about testing in the last episode and uh things have moved a little bit since then uh clearly someone is a little bit but uh no i think have moved a little bit so what's happened is the conservatives sort of continue to escalating their ask for approval of a rapid regular or sorry a rapid test um and then earlier this week uh or i guess last week the liberals announced on i think it was wednesday that they would be purchasing 7.9 million uh 
ID now Abbott COVID tests, uh, which are a rapid test, and then pending regulatory approval, of course, because you know you don't want to you don't want to expose people to unsafe tests. And then the next day they were approved. Uh, I did some digging on this, and I could not find. Uh, the, Health Canada has a list of both its approved tests and its tests, uh, you know, pending approval and under review. And I actually did not see the ID Now test on the pending review list the day they announced the purchase. Uh, and then it was on the approved list the next day. I even went back and did uh, a little way back machine <laughs> to look a couple days and a couple weeks in the past on that under review list and actually didn't see the ID Now test there either. Um, which I like, you know, maybe from, from the, from that information, which is what is public, I can only conclude that they used their, you know, the minister's power under the interim order they issued in March to, uh, approve a test that has had, has been deemed by another regulator abroad to be sufficient. So, which is precisely what they said they weren't going to do. Despite giving themselves the power to yeah, do so it, yeah. So we just don't really um, know. I, I no, I don't we don't. Know that so the I, company uh, has you know given a timeline for when they submitted nope. the tests to nope. Health I, Canada for application. I've launched my usual barrage of access information requests and everything, uh, but you know who knows when I'll end up getting those. So so stay tuned uh, I, there I, for. Stay tuned for the next <laughs> six to seven years. Um. Yeah, I mean. Just the way the government structured that announcement, um, which was to announce the contracting of Abbott uh, to provide all of these tests, the day before the test was approved, I think we can say, was either a serendipitous coincidence or incredibly weird that the government wouldn't just wait one further day to sort of announce it simultaneous or one day after to announce it post-approval. Once it had been approved. I, I don't yeah, really know I, what to I read think, into though, it. There's not really a way you can imagine that this was just waiting in a pile somewhere and then they they got to it when they did, you know, and, ha- and think that those were just entirely unconnected events that just, I think, stretches credulity to the breaking point, really. Like, it's not really possible to imagine that it was just a coincidence they got around to it the next day, particularly, as I said, since the test did not actually seem to be under review at any time. Well, prior. at least publicly posted to be under review. Um, sure, but gov- all the government are websites well. have been known <laughs> we to assume. drop things, though. Is all I'm saying. Well, and this is why this is why I checked even a couple of days and a couple of weeks before. Yeah, it, uh, to see if it had just been like been lost like the day before in the process of being put onto the new one or something. Because I thought that was my first thought too. But it wasn't. So, so this is actually the third test that the government, the third sort of what people would call rapid test um, that the government yes. has approved for, I think uh, they refer to as point of care. Um, yeah. So the first was the, well, actually the first was the CFIAD test, which was approved really early on, uh, which is an American test. And I think that the reason we don't have any of those is supply. because uh, the U.S. government is buying all of them. Yeah. Um, supply. Sorry. Supply issues. Yes, exactly. Supply. Uh, and the other is the Spartan Bioscience Spartan Cube, uh, which is here to finish this fight against COVID nineteen. <laughs> which <laughs> really on a Halo kick recently, eh? You, I haven't played. Yeah. I, I don't even played Halo since uh, February when we played Halo two remastered against each other very briefly. Yes, at the uh, uh, at that the event. video game reception. Yeah. Indeed, uh, I did horrible. Uh, but yeah, no, anyway, sorry. So the the Spartan Cube uh, was approved also in in kind of mid-march um 
and then kind of turned out not to work so good. So they uh, it's now approved for research use only, and they're thinking they're going to get that out the door again in the next month or so, hopefully. Uh, but yes, so, so clearly they felt like I think the plausible reading here is they felt they needed some kind of answer to what the conservatives were saying every day in question period and in the media. Um, so they made one happen. Though it seems likely that we are not actually going to be able to procure this newly approved ID now test for another couple. Yeah, of that, months, that's really. really the challenge, right? Is when when the government makes these announcements for vaccines and for testing, um, it's all very well and good, but we don't actually have a lot of eyesight into the timelines associated with the procurement. Well, not only with the procurement, but with the deployment as well. There, Amir Adaran, who's a uh, professor of everything at the University of Ottawa, I say that somewhat largely sarcastically, um, has had one or two good pieces in McLean's. Um, I hope he never hears this. Uh, and w- one was talking about the vaccine timelines and the timelines and the queue that the government is in in terms of ordering different vaccines. So there's a number of vaccines that are in development all over the world. And various com- uh, countries are lining up to put cash on the table and to get into the queue for, um, you know, the first doses of these vaccines that are available. And it seemed like our government has been really reticent to start putting money on the table and signing contracts for the various uh, vaccines well in various stages of approval. Uh, I think to a certain extent, the same thing is happening with, I I mean, nonetheless, they have, and they have for a number of the vaccines, but we actually don't really have any particular eyesights into the delivery timeline or whether, you know, we're getting vaccine number 1 billion to 1 billion 50 million, uh, or if we're, what, what the estimated delivery time is for those vaccines after their approval sort of thing, right? Uh, and, and to an mm-hmm. extent, the same thing is true of the tests. Like, the is it Cepheids? I can never remember how to pronounce it. Cepheid. Cepheid? Like sure. The, yeah. the Cepheid one is a good example of this, where it was submitted by the company, um, rapidly approved, but there's no supply. Uh, so we don't, we don't get right. any. The one that was announced uh, last week is also one that was part of the United Nations... Uh, announcement for 120 million tests to go all over the world uh, into developing countries. Are we before or after the developing countries in the queue for that? We don't know. We don't know where we fall in terms of the list. It's a Canadian company that perhaps is good um, in terms of us getting it in a rapid and timely manner, but we just don't really have a sense of what the deployment of these rapid tests will look like post-approval. Um, and it is sort of surprising mm-hmm. that the government hasn't announced Uh, similar to vaccines, uh, contracts to purchase other rapid tests pending approval or certification by Health Canada, right? That they've actually announced very few pre-purchases. Well, I mean, really just the one. Well, I think there was some with Spartan (laughs) once upon a time, but uh, yeah, for now. Right. But those are domestically produced, so there's a bit less of a... Yes. But... yeah. So at any rate, the other piece that uh, came so out of it, just one last piece, was the uh, the absence of any at home tests in the Health Canada queue. Uh, so other countries mm-hmm. have and are deploying at home test kits as opposed to point of care test kits, um, and there's none. No country has ever submitted any to Health Canada to be approved, or no company rather. 
um, which also seems problematic for our COVID response because it seems like at-home test kits would be, you know, a very helpful tool in the toolbox. Uh, in the UK, yes. you can apply to the NHS to send you an at-home test kit. And we just, no one has bothered to apply to Canada for approval. Yes. Uh, so that's... And it's worth saying that the UK has, like, really botched large parts of their response. <laughs> Uh, in large part because their government thinks it's being very clever. Um, but, yes. Uh, and, and in fact, it's really worth... Yeah, no, actually, I'm not going to get into it. But, yeah, they, they made some really horrendous calls early on. But all the same, like, you know, stop clocks can be right. And, actually, like, as, as Atan said, it's it's a tool in the toolbox. Like, having an at-home test is not going to instantly solve the, the whole pandemic. But it is a very useful thing to have, particularly as... You know, the need for testing becomes more acute and it becomes less and less feasible for people to stand in hours in line uh, as the weather gets colder. Uh, we're going to need something like it's just something is going to have to give there. And in fact, what seems to have given so far is sadly uh, test uh, contact tracing like Toronto announced yesterday that they would be suspending it, uh, which is bad because that is part of what makes the whole thing work here. So, Yes. More testing is good. Yeah, we, uh, On a future episode, we probably won't ever get around to it, but uh, a further deep dive into the app and into the failure of provinces to roll out the app, particularly Quebec, um, yes. you know, is, is a topic that deserves a lot of scrutiny and exploration. And Yeah, and it seems like they're slowly getting them signed up. Quebec actually finally did yes. uh, get on board. They have, but has it actually been deployed yet? There's often a lag between those two things. Know. The federal yes. government announced, I think, that Nova Scotia um, yep. was coming online, but Alberta still hasn't come online, even though they announced in August that they were going to switch over to the federal app. There's a lot of things falling through the crack on the app side, um, yeah. which is... The app is good, by the way. Get yeah, the which app. is... And it, well, get it if you can. Um, I, I mean, I, I, can. I guess you can download it <laughs> anywhere, but... And why... Yes. I, I've sort of been mystified by the structure of the app that requires the provincial government to uh, authorize it in the province. Yeah, and we've discussed this. I mean, the, the idea is that it's, it's tied into local health units so that when you receive a positive diagnosis, the public health people grab your phone for a second. They, they use basically their, like, point of care login. Well, they send you an online code then, or... Yeah, at any rate, they use their access. Like, they, they are the certification that you actually have received a positive test, right? Like, that's fundamentally the role they're playing there. And then pinging all of the phones that you've been near uh, for at least 15 minutes in the past. Yeah, week, so... Uh, that they may have been exposed. So, the, the problem with that, right, is you need the provincial government and the, the, the provincial health workers... To be part of that yes. system and to be working on the app. 100%. But yeah, and, and I think you do need that though, because the, the other possibility is that you just let people input it at will, which I think then creates a lot of garbage and noise. Well, there's a third uh, then, possibility. But garbage right? and noise for that kind of thing makes it useless. Yeah, so I'm, I'm not proposing you can have people go onto the app and say, I'm positive for COVID, for COVID, alert everyone, you know, forcing yeah. dozens of people to require self isolation. 
Um, yeah, and it wouldn't take many people doing that for the system to become fundamentally useless. Agreed. But the alternative to that is some sort of federal-run certification process of someone's positive COVID results. But we don't have a federal healthcare system, right? Like, that's the problem, is that healthcare is entirely, like, the, the entire just, like, no, public no, health just, just, is Just think creatively for one minute here. All it means is someone takes a photo <laughs> of their COVID yeah. diagnosis or a screenshot Submits it to Health Canada and Health Canada flicks them from green to red on the app. Well, like, yeah, but the pro- you'd have a processing time problem there. Too. Why? How hard is it to hire, you know, a couple hundred people to review screenshots and and vet things a little bit too? I mean, you, you I I think the answer is broadly easy. Like Ontario's getting a thousand cases a day, right? <laughs> of yeah. confirmed COVID. So say all of those a thousand people are submitting a screenshot of their COVID or doc- photos of a, photos of their do- uh, COVID documentation via an app. How, yeah. how hard is it for one dude to certify a thousand people in a day? Like, uh, no, not I, hard. I, I, I it seems like a team of 12 people speaking, could do I think this. It's doable. Yeah, technically speaking, I think it's doable. I think that it's just, it, it, there are risks you assume by doing that, that like I think the federal government thought well why don't we just get the provinces on board given that they have the sort of end state machinery there like and i think that's it's not unreasonable and it's just i think they didn't anticipate the degree to which the provinces would be difficult about yeah this. It, it, well i i don't know what the state of the conversations are with the provinces in terms of getting them on board but we were what six if not seven months into this and no uh, look it is baffling oof. that it hasn't rolled out everywhere yet but i think that is largely the problem or, you know, I think when did they say this was going to be done for July? Yeah, July 1st was like the putative rollout. And then we had it in Ontario, like, you know, half a month later. And then a couple other provinces got it. But yeah, it's, uh, it has not been, they've not been quick to adopt, for sure. Alas, here we are. Indeed. Um, that all you want to say on testing? Uh, yes, I think that covers it for now. Very good. So the Green Party last night picked a new leader. Sorry, I think you mean the Elizabeth May Party picked an interim leader. Well, we will see. <laughs> the God Empress of uh, of Santa Gulf Islands uh, may yet return, as she alluded in an interview this morning, which is hilarious. Uh, but yes, Anime Paul, uh, who is now the Green Party's new leader. Do you want, do you want to give uh, us a little background first... on Anime Paul? Uh, I, I don't know that much about her. I know she's a, a lawyer who is Princeton educated. She is Canada's first black federal leader and second Jewish federal leader. First per- cool. black permanent federal leader. Yes. Yes. Um, fair enough. In- but yeah, so and I think she was perceived to be sort of in the center left lane uh, of of the race. Um with uh she she narrowly beat the sort of uh left-wing insurgent candidate uh in the final round dimitri lascaris um and the sort of center right tories on bikes contingent kind of didn't perform all that well generally speaking i haven't followed that race all that closely uh but that's my impression is that i think she is probably the closest thing to a continuity candidate in terms of policy and general approach what's your take on wi-fi and uh, what's your take on wi-fi oh she'll take on (laughs) wi-fi yes uh so we'll see well you know the compromise it's uh you know 5g (laughs) maybe but we gotta we gotta be sure that we're we're taking on the wi-fi gotta watch out for this 5g cameras so and she's actually she was already their confirmed candidate for the toronto center by-election that is coming up and she ran in the last Um, 
the last election in 2019 in Toronto Center, she where she got yes. and got like seven seven percent of the vote, something like that. Yeah. Um. So you know, the challenge for the Greens is uh, they're not going to win Toronto Center. They are not. <laughs> um. Sorry. You heard it here first. So, sorry. <laughs> sorry to break it to you. Um. The path to Parliament is a really interesting question. Um, I think when we talked about this some months ago, um, I or perhaps you had suggested that whoever wins is going to be in trouble um, because they're going to need, in order to keep up any momentum and to actually be the leader of a party, they need a seat, um, if not an interim seat, a permanent seat. And where that permanent seat comes from is a really open question. Uh, Elizabeth May could give up her seat in Sandwich Gulf Islands. Uh, she is not. Uh, but she absolutely will not. Um, which raises the question of what happened, where does this person run, and what happens if they lose? Um, typically, Indeed. leaders look for safe seats. They wait for safe seats. They will even, say, move to British Columbia if a safe seat is not readily available in their uh, their. Well, in, in the saying, GTA, I'm hinting at a certain Jagmeet Singh. We're saying that Ber- Burnaby South, hypothetically, is not exactly an NDP safe seat. It's a seat that they've won more often than not in reasonably close. Sure, it, it was a you know, it was. A, it's not like Windsor West. You uh, know? Agreed. It, it was a compromise at the time, though, as Jagmeet had passed on several other potential elections in order to run. Yes, which had been for which a seat he would have winnable. very likely not won. Yeah. Yes, because they were very, very tough seats for the NDP. So with Sandwich Gulf Islands off the table, uh, we presume. I mean, Nanaimo Ladysmith exists. But we're talking now about Vancouver Island seats. Um, yes, and I, I Fredericton, but to be honest, I don't think that a non-Jenica Atwin Green wins Fredericton. I had wanted to look up the Mike, uh, Mike Schreider seat, which is the provincial... Guelph. Yeah, but what did yeah. Guelph do federally is what I was wondering. Let me look it up here. Oh, way. I mean, I think they, they do okay in Guelph, but not like they're going to win. And also, there's someone in that seat, so... Let me take a look. Who is a liberal. Lloyd so Longfield. It's not like he's going to resign. Is Indeed. the answer. Let's see what Lloyd's margin was. Uh, I, it's not unwinnable. It's not... You know, it was so Greens. But again, the central problem is that he's Greens were runners up. Uh, uh, (laughs) They got 25% of the vote and the Liberals got 40% of the vote. So that's another potential. No, I suppose it's worth saying that. Difficult though. Yeah, we're not. We're not in the Jigmeet Singh situation where he was, you know, won his leadership in 2017. And then we knew there was going to be election in October 2019. Yes. This time, like, the imperative to get into Parliament in the next year... Isn't there. ...in a by-election is not really there, given that there's almost certainly going to be an election within the next year. And she's going to take... I mean, she's queued up to take a shot at the Toronto Centre, which she's going to lose... That'll Which that'll be help. disappointing. I'm I'm sure they'll yes, try. That and, doesn't help, to be honest. That was not. Yeah, I'm sure they'll try and rally their folks and get as good of a result they can and say that you know brand, rebrand that as momentum. But at some point, she needs to start packing yeah, her 12%, bag. Yeah, twelve percent. We did it, folks. And consider where she's going to move <laughs> to, um, because if she doesn't yes. win a seat in the next election, oof, oive. No, that would be very bad. Yeah, that's the thing. Is yeah, it creates a lot of like. Obviously, you don't have to wait for places to open up in a general election in the same way. Um, but yes, if you do lose, it's, uh, I mean, someone either has to give up their seat or you continue from out of the house, which is difficult. It really is not an easy thing to do. Um, 
and yes, I, I don't think it would be a huge winner. I mean, in some sense, I think it's less imperative for the Greens to have a leader in the House than other parties, because usually what you benefit from from being in the House is screen time uh, and, you know, question period and all of that, which you don't really get reliably as the Greens anyway. I don't know if I agree so, with you. I would say... I would just say the marginal, the marginal, like value of being a leader in the house for the greens compared to other parties is lower i don't think there's no value in it i think there obviously is value in it i just think that there's less of it i i agree with you but i also think that the number one challenge um that anime paul is going to face is going to be the competitive pressure from elizabeth may um and elizabeth may is true in her unique situation is the parliamentary leader of the greens and remains that she's she said she will be the queen mother in fact is that is that a quote she actually did say that yes yeah i'm a big proponent of just kicking her from caucus (laughs) (laughs) you're done you're done bye bye um she's she's always going to be there and she's always going to be undercutting uh, I'm, I'm predicting Anime Paul's leadership, um, particularly if Anime is not in Parliament. Um, you know, th- yeah. this is tenable over the short term. The May but factor if, there, if there's an election yeah, definitely, in the winter, that's definitely real. Tough. That's uh, going to be awfully tough. Yeah. So you, you got to solve. Yeah, I can't disagree. The Elizabeth May problem, and the only way to solve the Elizabeth May problem is to be a very strong leader who sort of overwhelms her in terms of creating her own publicity. Um, and, and pushing out her own narratives. And the way to do that, in part, is by being in Parliament. Um, not necessarily in the short term, but come if, if there's election talk in the fall, you need to do that. And the other thing is, in terms of getting media, Toronto media is not politics-centric. Um, it's not federal politics-geared. No. Um, so I think she's going to have to get used to commuting up to Ottawa and joining scrums and press conferences uh, to fight for that media time. Otherwise, Elizabeth May is going to be right in there with her elbows up. Yeah, well, and caucus leadership, too, is very important. Uh, yes. Like, it's just the dynamics of a caucus where you're not well-known, um, you know, are are not simple. So I think uh, there will definitely have to be a lot of Ottawa in her future, no matter how that unrolls. So I'll just, as an asterisk to the Green leadership, I'll note the Green leadership race was actually quite contentious. Um, as with any leadership race, there were a number of scandals and allegations thrown back and forth. Um, perhaps most notable in this case were allegations against the executive director of the party. Um, but there were also massive goofs by the party in terms of not releasing funds to some of the candidates. Um, and in, expelling one candidate from the party's leadership it, race like a week before the deadline then, and then reinstating yeah, her within 48 them. hours. Uh, yes. So, and some of the debates were absolute gong shows. I mean, not not to say that there was a hat guy. Leadership races are easy to run, and there is certainly uh, an equivalent amount of this that happens in the larger parties. Um, and it's worth saying too that yeah, like the conservatives had to wait until two a.m. to get their results. Like I, their parties are not big organizations, and leadership races are organizationally complex, big things. Yes, yeah. and they're uh, which are hard for parties. Yeah, to they're run. incredibly taxing on a party's resources and time and attention. Incredibly, yes. Um, yeah, and you know, especially the long duration over which this race and the conservative race occurred. Right, they were Elizabeth May announced her resignation uh, as leader, I believe, just following the election, um, which means this is probably somewhere in the order of an eight or a nine month race. 
Sounds right to uh, me. I don't even remember. So let, let me ask you, should the other parties step down candidates and not have them run against Annemie Paul when she runs for Toronto no. Centre? Absolutely do you, not. Do you care? So there's a long-standing tradition in Parliament of parties not running candidates against other parties' leaders. Why Why? why so do first, you think this I, is no I longer just, the case? I know you're, you're doing this as, a, <laughs> as the hypothetical... Uh, Every every man's fool here, uh, but first of all, I think there isn't a long-standing tradition in Canada. Of I doing just that. I just like, miss you know when Parliament was based around mutual respect for the other person, or politics. Yes, rather. when that yeah, it was basically just like Parliament used to be who could just think up the worst slurs for Protestants and or Catholics depending on who you were, uh, and just shouting at each other while drunk. That that that's most of our <laughs> proud parliamentary history, really. Um, but yes, all that to say, uh, no, I think people deserve a choice in an election. I, you know, like, I would not be gassed if, if you know, first, let's assume this scenario happens where Catherine McKenna becomes leader of the Liberal Party and she doesn't have her seat and runs for Ottawa Centre. I would like to have other people on the ballot. I, I wouldn't want her to be my MP. Um, so no, I, I personally, I, I'm not a big fan. Uh, I think if you want to get in the house, you should, you should, you should just win the old-fashioned way. Um, I think it becomes a bit of a exercise in, you know, let's say Maxim Bernier runs in a by-election, do you let him what win? I, he is running like, in a by-election. No. He's running in. Uh... Yes, and and no one is talking seriously <laughs> about letting him win by default. And if you're you know, a center-left party, kind of like, what's in it for you to have another center-left party that competes with you for votes get more airtime for free, right? Like, it just doesn't seem rational from any point of view, and it doesn't really seem fair to voters. No, it, it's sort of... want an option. It's like, sort of built... There's no level on which this is smart, except for, like, pipe-puffing, self-satisfied armchair people who, like, mostly view politics as, like a venue for debates and not a method for allocating power and resources. Yeah, it's, it's a debate club approach to things is exactly what it is. Yes, which is, and debate clubs, frankly, are some of the worst things ever invented <laughs> and because they've led to such things as lawyers. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Con- uh, condo so. boards exist. Settle down. A condo, yeah, but that's the thing, right? Is like, if there were no debate club, like, do you, if, you have, if you don't have the Agora, do you have the condo <laughs> board, Etienne? Really? You have to think about that. Student, you certainly don't have student politics without the. Well, that's that's another one. That was you know that's the next one on the list. Two of your least favorite things. Yeah, I think you still get the radio DJs. Unfortunately, the worst. The they they probably find a a different way to evolve along. The the radio DJs who run for uh, local politics are quickly becoming the television show hosts who run for federal politics. Absolutely. Speaking (laughs) of, yeah, (laughs) Um, yeah. So that you know, I think it's it's really dim. Uh, I really hate that. I think it's dumb. I think people who think it are dumb. So no just, offense. Just uh, to loop back to sort of what we were talking about at the beginning, which is that anime is going to need to um, is going to need to run in a you know a riding that is not her own, um, which we alluded to Jagmeet Singh doing. Um, but I'd also bring up Elizabeth May. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I don't think a lot of people are... She was not struck from the earth of Salt Spring Island. Yeah, remember, a lot of people sort of think she's, you know, so, uh, Sanish Gulf Island seems to fit her well and sort of presumes that she's Which from there. Which it does, there. in fairness. Um, she might as well be from there. But she there. is not from there. She is, you know, she's hopped around chasing 
seats that she thought she could win, um, most notably Central Nova against Peter McKay. And she made a deal with the Greens, or sorry, with the uh, with the Liberals at the time, that they wouldn't run someone against her so that she could try and take down Peter mm-hmm. McKay. And she was actually incredibly close. The NDP did not uh, participate in that bargain. Had they, she probably would have taken down Peter McKay. Um, she also ran in, I think, London? Uh, against a liberal cabinet minister. I'm forgetting my history a little bit here, but she hopped around ridings until she found one she could win. So the idea of Jugmeet doing this or Anne Paul doing this now is not as ridiculous as it seems. Yeah, and in some fairness, people don't like parachute candidates. And and they seem reflexively like, no, you're from a different area. But at the end of the day, there's no evidence that Elizabeth May has... Uh, done worse for Saanich Gulf Islands because she wasn't from there. She's obviously set, set no. her roots down. And one can get to know the issues of riding very quickly. Yeah. Um, especially when, when day, you're places now aren't the MP that and you're speaking with the stakeholders other. of the area rather than just being, you know, in some cases, a 19-year-old kid who decides to run for politics and is elected. Yeah. Uh, it's one worth saying with Elizabeth May, too, is that in her choosing by elections, she actually picked one's that were or like it, when she ran even just in general elections she ran against um conservative ministers almost ex- i think exclusively because uh, she beat gary lunn in sandwich gulf islands who was a conservative minister okay i think i i mean in 2011 I uh, i'd have to pull up her her page here i believe her first race was against a liberal cabinet minister but that was sort of her shtick right was yeah i i yes was that she wanted to take down a cabinet yeah minister. and not only that, but you know, running against prominent cabinet ministers is a good way to build momentum and, uh, let's say, clout for your movement, for your burgeoning Green Party movement. Um, and you know, here she is today, having been elected multiple times and slowly building a caucus around her. Um, but of course, the problem with having someone who's indispensable is they're not keen to leave. No, no, indeed. Um, and yes, she has definitely, she's been leader for 14 years, I believe. Very much shaped the party as it is now, uh, has run it very, very tightly. So, um, so just just to finish our yes. thought on her, uh, her federal election history. Um, first ran in 1980, Cape Breton uh, Highlands Canso against, against Alan McEachern. Alan McEachern. A legend. And then... And got destroyed. As an independent, actually. And got 272 votes. Yes, that's exactly right. <laughs> and then against Glenn Pearson. Not so good. Um, in 2006, so a lot of time has elapsed. Correct. Since. Yeah. Between so those big two gap. Races. And then yes. from 2006, it becomes a regular thing. 2006, 2008, 2011, 2015, Against Peter McKay. Yeah. She wasn't that close against Peter McKay. Against Peter McKay? Uh... If you, if you give... Like if you give votes. all the NDP votes... Yes, but I, I thought the NDP in this one was like, just when you mentioned that, I was like, okay, they must have been like a really small, but like 20% yeah, is fair, not nothing fair. either. I've, I've yeah, always just had like, that mentally in my yeah. head that if, you know, which might be generous, if you allocate all the no, NDP votes to No, I think you're, you're, to you're technically correct. Yeah, I think you're technically correct there, though. I think that is artificial for New Democrats in that part Agreed. of the country. I, yeah. I think a lot of them would have been PC second or conservative second. Uh, but yes. Yeah, I, th- I think that's fair. Indeed. Okay, and then yes, topping off... Uh, Defeating, rather, Gary Lund in 2011 uh, in San Diego Sorry, this is kind of boring. <laughs> uh, rehashing her stats. Um, yeah, so you had one other thing you wanted to talk about, which is coming back to Parliament. 
Oh, uh, I mean, Parliament has... Res well, I was going to say Parliament's resumed, but Parliament is both the House of Commons and the Senate. And the Senate seems to be <laughs> on vacation again. What? Yes, I indeed. do not know. Um, somewhat bewilderingly, the Senate uh, resumed in order to pass... Uh, what did it end up being? C5? Um, which was the revised... C5 or C4? Four. C4. Um, which was the revised liberal NDP um, brokerage legislation, let's say, uh, that... It might have been C3. No, it wasn't. Think of it. No, it, was it doesn't C4, really matter. I think. C2 and then C4. Um, so it was the legislation that the NDP got their latest version of sick day concessions in. Um, yeah, I'm looking at it, by the way. It is C3. Huh. It is C3? Yeah. Damn it. Or, no, I don't think it is. No, that was... Uh... Oh, no, you're right. It is yeah. C4. Yep. All right. Never, never doubt me. No. Uh, well, you know, that would take us some bad place. <laughs> never doubt me. Um, C4, um, which got through Parliament with all-party support. Um, the Conservatives... Yes, unanimously, in fact. ...came around um, at around... Well, they came around before, but the vote occurred at like 3.30 in the morning, Ottawa time, 3.34 a.m. Uh, Ottawa time... Went to the Senate, the Senate rammed it through, got it through in a day, and then basically adjourned for the month, which is uh, it was nice. Look, they're a little elderly. It was a long night for them. They need to take the month Yeah, off. you know, they could be setting up committees. They could be getting studies going. They could be paying attention to, you know, all of the various stakeholders who well, would love to have their voices heard in Ottawa and love to have reports given to the government about their concerns in related to COVID, but they've decided well, to Well, Etienne, if you don't off. like it, then you can just vote them out. What's that? I said, well, if you don't like it, you can just vote them out. <laughs> yeah, here we are. <laughs> well, you can write to the committee that makes appointments or suggests appointments. You can write to Kim Campbell and say that you wish you were working harder. And she'll say, well, not my problem. Yes. And where will it be then, Etienne? A nice absence of responsibility there. Or uh, of accountability, rather. Yes. Having unelected legislatures fucking just rules. It kicks ass. Um, so aside from that, Parliament has decided to set up eight committees uh, next week. They're going to get off the ground. Eight committees sort of prioritized based on COVID. Um, one of which, uh, sort of the odd one out, being the Canada-China uh, not standing committee, the Canada-China special, special committee. That's what I'm looking for. Um, which was brought back. Um, and so the only committee that's been operating so far really has been PROC, Procedural House Affairs Committee, which has been which is always the first a one. shit yeah. show over the We saga and the redaction of documents, as we've made note of on this podcast several times, outside of the authority of Parliament or sort of before passing off the documents to Parliament, the uh, various departments opted to redact documents as they saw fit, which is not how it's supposed to work. Uh, the downside with PROC is that it's a liberal chaired committee, which even though the liberals are in minority, it gives them more room to maneuver procedurally to make it a shit show. Um, so that is being sorted out right now. Um, anything I'm missing? Indeed. The liberals have introduced, you know, a few new pieces of legislation, not COVID related. Um, three, uh, so there's five bills introduced. The first one's pro forma. C2 has been passed over and usurped by C4, as we just mentioned. And then there's uh, the Rona Ambrose bill, um, 
app or version three. I, I don't know if it's any different than version two, um, but for the third time has been introduced as well as C5, which is a bill that makes a national day for truth and reconciliation, um, which would be yes, which was uh, a federal holiday on was, September 30th. It was uh, originally Georgina Jolibois private members bill that had been passed by the house uh, in the last parliament, but not by the Senate and died on the order. Paper. Okay. And it is uh, in fulfilling uh, part of the Truth and Reconciliation uh, reports. One, one yeah, of their it's one asks. of the calls back. Yeah. yeah. And the C6 is a banning conversion. Oh, sorry, therapy. yes. C6 is there as well, um, which is also yes. a reintroduction from the last session of Parliament. Um, Indeed. I haven't poured over the, detail, the details of that one yet either. Um, so that's sort of the legislative agenda as it's shaping up. It's interesting to see non COVID stuff on the agenda, um, which isn't something we've seen in a long time. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how the government prioritizes and allocates parliamentary time for some of these things that aren't explicitly COVID-related, um, because COVID is still very much the thing on everyone's minds. Indeed, and uh, also of note, BC election ongoing. Uh, the NDP looks like it's kind of cruising to getting elected with a big majority this time, uh, as opposed to its very razor-thin uh confidence and supply agreement with the greens uh, uh the greens actually look like they're in big trouble in terms of keeping their seats um so we'll see what happens there the uh saskatchewan has just kicked off uh their election yes where the sas party looks like it's cruising correct as well not yeah so good good couple of months for incumbents it seems yeah, like. not a nail biter um i think you know large traumatic events like the pandemic tend to benefit incumbents yeah um, because the fundamentals are people, not good for people tend to look for stability. Um, yeah, I think BC and Saskatchewan are very different in that BC, I think, generally is a very 50 50 political climate, uh, at least until the last couple cycles with the Greens, um, which is actually, I guess, similar to Saskatchewan in the sense that like there are two large political coalitions, but the SAS party is really like the center right block in Saskatchewan is really, really strong. Um, I think it, for a variety of reasons, some of which I think I've talked about on the show before, but like it is a, it is really a lock for them right now, uh, barring anything dramatic happening, which we can hope, but there you go. Fair. Um, Indeed. Uh, Free enterprise coalition, baby. Oh, outside of that, everything seems to be, Take it along. We'll see what the uh, the fall has in store for us. Our uh, nothing good. Oh, I mean, actually, there is one good thing. What's that? You know, you know what I'm talking about. I I, I don't know what you're talking about. Very good. Well, that'll wrap it up for us this what, week. What, what on are you talking about? Pants. Oh, nothing. What? Nothing. My mind goes to like the Xbox Series X being released. I have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah, well, sure, sure. How about that? Yeah, that's great. I love the Xbox Series X. That's what I'm talking about for sure. I, th- I think that's what it's called. Yeah, I, I love it. I think it, I'm I'm delighted about it. Is this is this about the Dune movie? I, I I don't I don't know what you're going for. A second good thing. Yeah, definitely. I, I've got a list. Uh, I've yeah, got a list of it. things to look forward to in the next few months. That'll do it for us. My this half week. birthday. Thanks once again for listening. <laughs> You can uh, you can of course follow us at Shortpantspot on Twitter uh, and rate and review us on iTunes and or your platform of choice. Please do. Uh, and with that, we will uh, until next time. Bye bye. Bye bye.